to uh, The Good Life Conversation. I'm Bridget Schulte. I am the director of the Better Life Labs here at New America uh, and also the founding director of the Good Life Initiative. And we are talking today with Beth Cabrera uh, about her new book, Beyond Happy, Women, Work, and Well-Being. Beth is a senior scholar at the Center for the Advancement of Well-Being at George Mason University, and she is also the founder of Cabrera Insights, a leadership development company. So, Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Well, great. Well, let's start with just talking a little bit about how you got involved in writing this book in the first place. Okay. Uh, well, that was a, it was a process. I, I actually became interested in studying women's careers uh, over 10 years ago when I almost quit my own career. Mm. And it was a very personal experience that made me kind of realize just how difficult it is for working women. So uh, I had lived in Spain for, for about 10 years, and I had earned tenure as a management professor at, a, at Carlos III University there. And our children were born there, so we had small children. And, you know, it was never easy being a working mom, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I had kind of managed to do that. And then my husband got a job in Arizona. So we decided it was a great move for the family, and it was something we wanted to do. But uh, as very often happens with women, they end up being the trailing spouse. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, my hard-earned tenure position, I had to just walk away from Wow. And come to Arizona and just kind of start over. And and at the time, the kids were five and seven, and I kind of lost all my support. We had no family, no friends, didn't know a soul, you know, and starting over again. And I knew what it would take to earn tenure again. I had done that once. Yeah. <laughs> and and realized all that that would entail. And I also knew that the kids were at ages where they started wanting their mom, and they wanted play dates, and they wanted after-school activities. And so I just honestly for a while said, I'm just not going to look for work. I'm just going to stay home with them. But that made me terribly sad because <laughs> I loved my career. I loved being a professor. I loved teaching. So that's when I, I ended up looking for a part-time position. And so I got a position as a professor of management at Arizona State University. And it was it was perfect. You know, it was it was hard to kind of lose the status of a tenured faculty member. And, and for a while, that I struggled with that. But I did realize that it's the best way for me to combine being a mom and the career that I loved. And that's when I started doing research on women's careers. Oftentimes, when we when we look at the at the struggles, um, the, you know, the trailing spouse, the you know, women still doing the housework and childcare, still being the primary or the lead parent with childcare, you know, and we look at sort of well, what do you do about it? What are the solutions? And a lot of them tend to be well, fix the woman, blame the woman, fix the woman. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And you know, how did you deal with that conundrum in writing this book? Yes. Well, actually, the book was very different at the beginning because I'm an organizational psychologist. So my focus back in 2004, 2005, when I started interviewing all the women, was to ask them, you know, what helped you? What made it easier for you? And 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 I was very focused on workplace change. Mm-hmm. And I was writing articles. I was publishing, you know, a lot of research and speaking to a lot of companies about all the ways the workplace needs to change so that everyone has better well-being and can, and can have a life and work at the same time. And so, you know, the need for flexibility, but for true flexibility where there aren't negative career consequences for mm. taking advantage of these all these flexibility policies that are on the books, right? right. And and the need to to focus on results, have a results focused workplace where it's you don't judge people's performance by the time they spend in the office, by the sacrifice, by the fact that they answer email at eleven o'clock at night. You judge it simply and only on results. So I was talking about this, I was focused on this, and trying to 
advocate for all this workplace change. And honestly, I felt like as the years went by, things got worse mm. and not better. Mm. And I think in part that's the, the economic crisis and people were let go and not replaced. And so work is becoming more demanding as I'm arguing for the importance of having a life outside of work, right? And um, I think cell phones or smartphones are, are terrible because they're, you know, they're creating this expectation that people are going to be available 24-7. So I, I became frustrated. I was listening to women who were frustrated. I was talking to companies about the need for change, and I did not feel like they were changing. So I, I don't think the women needs to change. I'm completely on board with the idea that it's the companies and the government policies that need to change to be more supportive of caregivers. Um, but I also saw so much frustration and disappointment in these women and not being able to have the careers that they had wanted to have and and having to leave those careers or make changes because of the workplace that I I realized they needed help now. I I still advocate for change and I hope change is coming and the work at New America that you're doing <laughs> and that Anne Marie do, is doing in her book and your book is is what we need and I I do think there's hope and things are changing but meanwhile I wanted to help women right now, you know, help to manage the the craziness that we're all facing. So that's what the book is. So I really turned to all the research on positive psychology, on well-being, and, and looked at what can we do right this minute to help manage everything that we're faced with. Mm, I, you know, I love what you were saying about, you know, looking at workplace change. Um, uh, the, some of the early pioneers in the work life or work family field, they said, well, no, we have succeeded when people can make real choices without penalty. So let's talk about that. So we do need this bigger change, but you're talking about, okay, I need the oxygen mask right now. So, yeah. you know, talk about some of the research, talk about, talk about your book and what you found. Right. So the well-being piece, what, what, I, what I actually am advocating in the book is that we need to stop trying to find work-life balance to begin with, because that's kind of every woman that I interviewed, that's the desperate search, if I can only find balance. And it's not surprising because of the challenges we're facing and the lack of balance and the conflict. Um, but I feel like that is just making things worse. Because balance and trying to find, it's an elusive goal, and it's kind of like just one more thing we can't seem to achieve. So on top of all the other problems we have, every day we go to bed going, I didn't find balance, you know, and, and it, it, I think it further undermines our self-confidence and increases our stress when we can't find this balance. And, and what my research has shown is that, that if you focus on well-being instead, on increasing your own well-being, it's a much better goal. It's a better goal because, number one, it's a more achievable goal than balance. You can actually do things right now, today, to increase your well-being. And if you are able to increase your well-being, that gives you these psychological resources that help you confront all of the challenges so much better. So if I'm able to increase my well-being, I'm going to be more self-confident. I'm going to have more energy throughout the day. So just those two things alone can help women face these challenges. And the most important thing that that higher well-being gives you is, is increased resilience. And so in my research, in the first study I did, I found that 47% of the women had quit their careers at some point. Mm -hmm. And these were career-minded women who actually had graduate degrees in international business. So I was shocked, right? But but what happens is, is it's usually a crisis that causes us to throw in the towel, right? And so we have the house of cards built you know, with the childcare and everything. And all it takes is for one card to be pulled out. And so your manager, you get a new manager who doesn't let you work flexibly 
or your child care falls through. And it's it's something like that, a crisis, that many women get to the point that they're like, I, I can't do this. And, and they make drastic decisions in the moment of crisis and leave a career that they loved and that they'll never be able to get back at the same level, right? So if you're resilient, if you have more resiliency in the face of those crises, you're able to say, you know what, this is this is hard, but I can get through this. And people who are more positive in general and have higher well-being are have better coping skills, and they and they also bounce back faster from from these events. And so I think those are are, are great reasons to work on your well-being. And it gives you what you'll need to manage this lack of balance that we're faced with. Okay, so I love that, focusing on well-being. So it's going to give us more confidence, more energy, we'll be more creative, we'll be more resilient. Um, okay, I, I'm signing up. So, <laughs> so, how, so how do you do it? What does the research show? How do you focus on well-being? You know, so for people listening, what are three or five kind of top things that they could do you know, right now to 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 develop that sense of well-being. So in, in the book, I have a, a model of well-being that takes all the research, and there there's so many factors that contribute to it, right? And I wanted to kind of simplify it into something that's really very straightforward and, and easy to start with. And, and I have two dimensions that affect your well-being. And one is feeling good, and that's experiencing positive emotions throughout the day. It's being happy. And, and those positive emotions give you a lot of those psychological resources that I talked about. And the other dimension, though, that's equally important is doing good. And that's kind of more of an overall sense that your life has meaning, that you're doing something that matters with your life. And sometimes that's, you know, has frustration and anxiety with it because you're pursuing meaningful goals and you have setbacks and challenges. But it's important to have both of those. In general, more positive emotions throughout the day, but also this sense that you have meaning in life. And there are a number of things. The book is all about the different strategies that you can use, but just a couple of ideas for increasing positive emotions. For me personally, the most important has been to be more mindful. Mm. A lot of our negative emotions come from ruminating about the past or worrying about the future when most of our present moments are, are generally pleasant. So if we can just spend more time focused on the here and now, what's going on at this moment, right there we're going to experience more positive emotions. Um, something else we can do to have more positive emotions is um, to focus on what's going well. A natural tendency is to focus on potential threats or problems. It's kind mm -hmm. of a survival instinct that our brain has, right? So we need to make intentional efforts to say, you know what, there are also good things, <laughs> and even start conversations talking about what's going well or end your day thinking about three good things that happened that day. Just making intentional efforts to focus on the good uh, will help you have more positive emotions. You know, it's interesting. You have also a piece in there. You talk about count your blessings and the gratitude research. Um, and I, I've seen this, the the research that shows that when you have that practice, you know, you talk about think of three things you're grateful for at the end of the day or wake up thinking of three things that you're grateful for. It trains your brain to actually scan for those positive things rather than automatically default to thinking the negative and looking for those threats. You know, well-being is a skill. It's a skill that if you learn, you know, the techniques for increasing your well-being and practice it, it's just like learning to play the piano or learning the violin. You know, those neural circuits will become stronger and you will your default mode will be higher well-being. You know, and is that why you call your book Beyond Happy? You know, I think people think of happiness 
you know, and it seems sort of like a frivolous term, like, oh, you know, slouching on your couch or letting your kids play video games all the time. You know, can you talk a little bit about you know, happiness research has sort of become, uh, you know, something we hear a lot about these days. Um, so talk a little bit about our obsession with happiness, if you will, and why it's not enough. Right. It's Well, number one, the obsession with happiness and actually having a goal to be happy makes you less happy. Oh, is that right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> because then... Don't try so hard, Then right? it's kind of like the balance thing. You're never going to be balanced all the time, have perfectly balanced days. Well, you're not going to be happy all day, every day. Stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And and then if you're on top of that, at the end of every day, analyzing your day and saying, oh, no, I wasn't happy today. This happened and it made me sad. Then you're less happy because you're not achieving your goal of happiness, right? Right. What you need to do instead is focus on experiences. Your goal should be have more experiences that cause you to be happy. So your your goal isn't every day, have I been happy today? It's every day, have I been a little more mindful? Have I been more grateful? Have I been generous? Have I done acts of kindness for people? You know, those things will, in the end, the byproduct is that you're happier, but but you don't want your goal to be happy. And the actual title, Beyond Happy, came from my model, where one dimension of well-being is being happy, but that second equally important dimension is, is the sense of meaning in life. So it's more than just being happy, right? It's beyond happy because you also need to have this sense of meaning. And, and there are a number of things that you can do to increase that sense that your life is meaningful. And, and they're very simple things that aren't so easy to do that are like living your values. So if, if every day you're aligning your behaviors with what means the most to you and is most important to you, that increases your sense, you know, over time, over a week, over a month, you look back and you're like, I have a meaningful life because I've been achieving these goals that mean something to me. And I, I'm, unfortunately today, and your book shows this, we're too busy sometimes to spend time doing what really matters. We're just kind of reacting to what's urgent. So let's let's talk bigger change. So you've talked about sort of the the very immediate things that we can do now to try to increase that sense of well being. Um, what about in the bigger picture? Well, I think I think the big changes are those workplace changes that we need the the flexibility without negative consequences, the the focus on results. We need the workplace and managers to understand that it's more about our if we want optimal performance, we should care much more about energy management than micromanaging time, right? And and so these are cultural changes that require, number one, women to stay in it and become leaders. So my hope is that if women can take care of their well-being, they're more likely to stay in and, and advocate for the kind of change that we need. So I think that would be a big plus of, of this um, because we just need people staying in it and fighting for it. And you're only going to have the energy and the wherewithal to do that if if you take care of yourself first. Hmm. So I'm going to wrap up today by asking you, what about in your own life? So we started by talking about this real crisis point in your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, you up, uprooted, had to leave a job that you loved, a position you'd really um, worked really hard to get to. Um, so what about now? Uh, what have you learned in your own journey? What about your own well-being? What are some of the things that, that you've taken um, most with you that that kind of add to your own well-being and your own sense of, yes. of meaning? So many things. And that's why I wrote the book, because I was experiencing all of the changes in my own life by by putting into practice some of the things I was learning in my research. And, and it was really 
incredible, the changes. So I'm a much happier person. I yell a lot less than my children now. <laughs> my family, I think, would say that things are a lot better because I'm, I'm very stressed. I was a worrier. I would worry all the time about all these terrible things that never happened but might have. <laughs> and I spent most of my time worrying. I'm very anxious. So as a mother, you know, I didn't want my kids to do things. I was worried something. And now that I have, you know, a 16-year-old driving and a freshman in college, I still have plenty to worry about. Right, right. <laughs> but being mindful has really helped me. I can catch myself now. And I'm like, that's doing me no good. Just don't go there. And I come back and I'm so, you know, and just day to day, I'm much happier because of the mindfulness. Um, I, you know, relationships are so important. I didn't mention that, but that is the number one factor that impacts our well-being because it increases our positive emotions and gives us this sense of meaning. So I struggled for a long time thinking I had kind of been a failure because I was no longer the tenured professor, professor right? I had you know, opted to at least scale back significantly my career. But now I'm able to accept that that was the best thing I could have done because my relationship with my children was so important to me and I wanted to be there for them. And I'm so now that they're leaving the nest, you know, I'm so thankful that that I was able to continue to work, but in a different way. So I think, you know, one of the most important things for women is to not opt out completely I, you know, in hindsight, I'm very happy about the change that I made. I didn't opt out completely, but I found a situation that let me have the relationships that I wanted to and continue to do the work that, uh, that I loved, and, and now I can ramp back up. So I think it's, you know, being creative, finding ways to continue to do things that are meaningful to you is is going to help you overall have greater well-being. Right, and the changes for women and for men. Yes. Um, and changes at, at both at the work workplace and also at home and, and how we divide up the labor and who does what. So, Beth, thank you so much for coming and talking. I love the idea. We'll all go out and look forward to feeling good and also doing good. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to this New America podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons, non-commercial, 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.